What inspires you? So much to that answer, but the real question is why are we so hungry for guidance and advice? Today I've got one of the most inspiring professional speakers who is tearing it up. Ben Nempton, star of The Buried Life, is here to help us figure it out. I'm Brant Pinvidic. This is the Why I'm Not podcast, and this is Why I'm Not Inspired. Welcome to Why I'm Not with Brant Pinvidic, the podcast that explores the latest trends, fads, beliefs, and addictions from all sides and tries to remind you, before you judge it, try to understand it. After that, you're on your own. And now, here's your host, Brent Pinvidic. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Why I'm Not podcast. This is the show where I dive into the topics, the trends, the fads, anything people are all worked up about that I don't understand, and I try desperately to figure it out by talking to the smart people that do. And as always, I learned that just because I don't get it doesn't make me the righteous one. Nope. Most of the times... I might be the dumbass, which, of course, many of you, my fans, have been happy to tell me about that. Yeehaw. All right. Here we are. Still in season three. I have to admit, um, I got a lot of messages about, hey, when is season four coming? And I think it's because, you know, I've been taking so long to get a new episode out. I actually almost thought about calling this season four just so I could, like, save a little face and and uh, but the truth is the truth. I've just been a little bit off my game. So um, but I'm back into it now. Uh, I actually was hoping I could make this big announcement that I've been working on today, but I can't really do that. So uh, not a great excuse, but I will do that shortly. But all I can say is I got something kind of uh, cool. It's taking up a bit of time, and but I am back and ready to roll. So speaking of last episodes, big congrats to my lady of awesomeness, Amanda Cerny. She crushed the download record for my podcast, the towering number one episode uh why i'm not model famous with amanda series so that's pretty cool congrats to her she seemed to like that um and you know what i want to get real with everybody because i've been getting a lot of also messages about the guests and the topics and what happened is right at the time i did the rob Lowe episode it kind of he blew up my numbers right pretty famous dude um really good episode and it was like more than a hundred thousand downloads and i realized with guests like that i could I could actually hit a million downloads. And for a podcast that doesn't drop like episodes every day and like accumulate them like that, that's a big milestone. So, you know, so when I do McGee and then King Batch and then Amanda Cerny, it's like, boom, there's 400,000 more downloads right there with those podcasts. So that pushed it over the top. That hit the million. I got to celebrate, post it on my Instagram. It was kind of cool, right? But many of you did notice and I got a lot of questions about that. Like, saying, Hey man, you're like interviewing your friends and not diving in specifically to topics like you used to. It's cool and everything. Um, but you know, what's up with that? And it was, it was a fair criticism and it was actually totally true. But today in this episode, I'm going to go back a little bit to the core reason why I started doing this podcast is that when something starts blowing up around me that I just don't really get, I want to find those smart people that do and sort of dive into that topic. So today I'm diving into the idea of inspiration and why sort of we as a society and a culture have been racing to hear people inspire us and bring us some advice for life. Now, of course, we've been doing that for years and years. Absolutely. From way back from Oprah and Dr. Phil and all that stuff has been happening. And so I get that. But like now with the internet and social media, it's like it's really everywhere. And over the last little bit, you know, the last couple of years, I spent a lot of time with Tony Robbins. 
Uh, we developed a new show together. We worked together. I watched him live keep 14,000 people entertained and like super inspired for four days straight, you know, and, I, and I've been close in watching Gary Vaynerchuk. So, you know, speak to budding entrepreneurs about getting out and hustling. And it was like, in the beginning with Gary, it was so much inspiration and get out and do it. He's now transitioned a lot into sort of practical knowledge, but it was like the audience is just hungry for more. So I really want to dive in like what's driving that and and really on the other side, what it's like to be someone in that position. Um, and I've had my eye on this sort of a young piece of talent named Ben Nempton for years. Um, from a TV perspective, he's great, you know, good looking kid, looks amazing and great on TV. And so he started a show uh, called The Buried Life. He then wrote a New York Times bestselling uh, book based on the same title. He became a huge keynote speaker sharing his story of inspiration and living what you believe and, you know, do what brings you joy and giving back to others. And it's like, it's, it's very inspiring, inspiring being around him and listening to him and been watching him grow has been super amazing and, and watching him respond. And so that's what I'm going to get in today. And of course I wouldn't do that all alone. That would be just silly. Nobody wants that as always. My beautiful and wildly talented co-host is here to join me, ladies and gentlemen, Trisha Hirschberger. Hey, Brand. Round of applause, round of applause. Hello, darling. How have you been? I've been great. Um, this is a fun episode. Yeah. And a little different, excited. right? Uh-huh. Um, do you do you have somebody in your world that sort of like inspires you that becomes that sort of quote unquote guru, the person that like you take advice from and that you see online or you listen when you listen to them it like sparks something inside of you to like do better yeah I actually have a bunch of people like that and I feel like things that different people say at different times will kind of hit me in the funny bone and get me ramped up and ready to go and um Matt Mercer is one who comes to mind who's a, a celebrity dungeon master for the D&D crowd out there but he, <laughs> I love it I've uh, moderated panels he's been on and he is always a uh, very eloquent and very inspiring person who just kind of spreads the message that we all need to be kind to each other right and sometimes we need to hear that especially you know in our current climate where people can be very adverse to each other for many different reasons um it's it's nice to just have that reminder that you know kindness is out there and we should spread that what about you brent um, you know, it's been interesting because I've been, I've been studying this sort of world for a while and Tim Ferriss or Tony Robbins, I have a relationship with and, and I see the influence that they create from the sort of content that they, that they deliver and their life experiences. And as I'm transitioning a little bit more into that world a little bit, and I was hoping I was thinking about making my big announcement on this episode, but I'm going to mm. wait till the next one. Whoa! Okay. Um, and I've been, listen, it, and people on social media are picking up on it enough that people are starting to understand what's going on, but. It's been really interesting to see the demographic shift of that um, from sort of like the older, sort of more mature person in their 40s or 50s trying to figure out life to the younger demographic now also looking for that same sort of inspiration. I think Gary Vaynerchuk is a good example of how um, he's been using that angst in our society at a younger level to be like, Hey, you can make it, you can do stuff. And he's gone a little bit from the power of inspiration and, and, and sort of like uplifting people in that sense to a little more practical knowledge. And I've been interested watching his journey, but I'm surprised how accepted that is mm -hmm. now. And like in our society and as, as humans, 
we sort of have this need to find someone to sort of like tell us what to do, tell us what to feel, tell us how to get out of our own way, how to get out of our own shadow, like all of that kind of stuff. I find that really fascinating. And it's kind of across the board all ages. It's true. It used to be something that you thought of like, oh, now that I'm in my 30s, I have to get out my self-help books or whatever. But you're right. That's not the case anymore. No. It's now all ages are looking for how do I find what I'm passionate about? How do I live that? And I would say that social media has probably had a lot to do with that because we're looking at everyone else's filtered lives yeah. and we're comparing ourselves to people that we think are so happy in their job and so happy in their personal lives and in comparing ourselves to that feel woefully inadequate. Yeah. And then think, okay, well, I need someone to help me get to the point where they're at, which unfortunately is a bit of a hamster wheel that we'll never get out of. Yeah. Because that's not real. No, and and that's been, you know, and, and I probably said this to you before when we were talking about this episode, but I was really surprised as, as sort of the growth of my uh, sort of business consulting and the stuff I've been doing in, in my three-minute rule and the pitching and presenting has grown and I wrote about that on Forbes and it was a big thing and that's been great. But the article that I wrote about people planning for success, not preparing to be successful. Um, and if you go to Forbes.com slash brand, you'll, you can find it there. Um, but that article was a little different than the ones I had written before that was straight entrepreneurial advice. And it resonated at a level like I wasn't really prepared for it because I was getting messages and stuff pouring into my inbox that was not like all entrepreneurs asking for advice and whatnot. This was more like lifestyle stuff that everybody was feeling. And that's what sort of sparked this idea of like, why are people so in demand for this kind of thing? And just the idea of saying like, you won't be happy just because you make money at the next level. And all of the things that I said in the article about my personal experience from like never figuring out when I was gonna actually feel successful seemed to resonate so intensely and I was like, wow. And that's why I started looking into it. It's like, there's an entire world of people out there that are bringing that information out there. And it's kind of fascinating to see how popular it's become. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to get into your article too much because I want people to actually go read your article. Yeah. Uh, but there, there is a lot of that idea of, you know, when you when you have reached success or whatever you think success is or some monetary goal or something like that, where do you go from there and does that make you happy? There's a right. lot of that conversation that resonates with people. And I think today when you have access to so much, and I, I've talked about it a lot about the idea that in today's world now, like everybody's got as many flat screen TVs as you can have. You have a computer in your in your hand that's faster than anything we had 20 years ago. Every single car on the road today has power windows and power brakes and reclining seats. Like all the things that 20, 30 years ago used to be like up, upscale stuff is now like pretty basic for everybody in sort of regular life. And it's almost shone that, that shined that light on people a little earlier to be like, okay, what actually do I want to do? What makes me happy? What am I trying to get to? And I think like social media hasn't helped that process and it makes people on there, you know, trying to, to, to say something great about themselves when they don't feel it. And that's kind of a weird world mm -hmm. to be in right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my myself, I struggle with that a lot too. There are some days when I'm just home in my pajama pants, maybe haven't washed my face or put on makeup or like anything for the day, and I'm just at home playing with my tiny human. 
And uh, I'm like, oh, man, I have to post to Instagram today. Yeah. And the the urge is to then, you know, get myself on camera ready and make a post that's very inspiring. And because I'm a, I'm a very happy person. But to get out there and just be like, today's a great day, which yeah. might be far from where my current mentality is. Not that my current, men- not that I'll go from, you know, feeling depressed about my life to very positive just for the purposes of social media, but it's reflecting something other than certainly what is my day-to-day life. Yeah. Because my social media is part of my brand and my brand is a certain thing and that needs to be upkept and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's interesting because it feels a little almost religious to me. Um, and I remember a little while ago, I think it was Justin Bieber had a, he had like a religious guru that he was going to some sort of church and it would turn into this mega church. And like the pastor was like this now super popular, like overnight because, you know, he had exposed it from Justin Bieber. And you're like, I didn't know there was that many, you know, preteens and teens looking for guidance like that. And then when you look at like our guest, Ben, it's like, I'm not going to say he's a religious following, but it feels a little bit like that because people really look to him for guidance and help and advice and lifestyle and how to live. And they feel better about themselves after hearing him speak or watching him or doing his thing. And it's like, that's kind of the basis of what has been drawing people to religion for thousands of years. It's now seems to take on a more practical state with people like Ben and Gary and Grant Cardone. And these people have this sort of like following, which I find fascinating to get into that this now becomes a, is a real business. Yeah. And I mean, in Ben's case specifically, encouraging people to practice some self care is something that a lot of people not only need to hear, it's something that a lot of people want to hear that it's okay to take some time for themselves. Uh, And in fact, that that can even be healthy. So, Getting into a little bit about Ben, what's interesting about him is I've known him for a couple of years now. He's from my hometown. Um, and as you heard in the intro, he's really been blowing up in this world. He he was on a show called The Buried Life, which was effectively like, what do you want to do before you die? Mm-hmm. Here's the bucket list. You should do these things. All of that stuff. Not necessarily new in the sense that those questions have been asked, but really new from someone at that age and in that style. And it took off like crazy. So, mm-hmm. you know, New York Times bestseller with the buried life he speaks all around the world um you know been on done the oprah thing done the barack obama thing like he's been a, a like a major celebrity and i've been watching him as a piece of talent as a producer saying like whoa this this kid is going to explode because i've seen those trajectories so that's why i want to talk to him and i do like and like i said in the intro i like the idea of this particular podcast going a little bit back to like the core of what it was when it started of like, hey, I want to talk about a real topic that I'm really interested in and kind of fascinated and don't really understand and dive into it a little bit as opposed to like, ooh, cool celebrity friend. Let's talk about whatever it is, you know? Right, right, right. So, no, but I mean, and, and with Ben, like not only being so young and taking us along for the journey with him and his friends, but then also the the part of it that's the pay it forward part. Yep. I mean, it's just, it's this wonderful journey. We can all go on together and it's surrounded by positivity. And I think that that's something that everyone can really get behind and hence the success of The Buried Life. Yes, indeed. So this is this is my interview with Ben Nempton. I call him an inspirational rock star. Um, and I highly recommend, you know, like he's one of those people I would say like, yeah, you want to follow that guy. So here he is. 
All right, Big Ben, thanks for joining me, man. I'm very excited to have you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah. So listen, you've been blowing up lately, and I'm really excited to catch you on this sort of crazy meteoric rise, right? Because I think we've seen this, as I was saying in the intro before, like I've seen Gary Vaynerchuk, and I remember trying to cast him in a show, and then all of a sudden, whoop, up he goes, right? And so I can see that with Lewis, and, and there's a lot of this this vibe and online and the connection with people and you have it in spades. And as I'm watching your career, like explode, I'm like, I got to get him in here now because he answers my phone call. And like a month later, I don't think you're going to answer when I call. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to miss the, the intro there on the phone. When you get a new number and you only send it to certain people, I'm going to be out. So that's why you're sitting here now. <laughs> so there you go. I'm always going to come over to this house. Right, man. Right. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks. Okay. To be in the same sentence as those guys is you, you made my day. So right. look at you, Mr. Humble. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's play the get to know you game just a yeah. little bit. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Victoria, BC. Oh my Canada. God. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> How crazy is that? <laughs> no, nah, I'm kidding. I knew that. Um, so what's interesting as a Canadian kid. Yeah. What were you planning to do when you were a kid? Man, I, so you know, you had to play hockey, so I played hockey. Yeah. And then, um, you know, growing up in Victoria, rugby was a huge thing. So I grew up in a big rugby school, and so I played a lot of rugby. And, and I ended up, you know, getting pretty high up, you know, pretty quickly. In high school, I ended up getting on, like, the U19 national team. And I was going on to university. Life was good. Um, and then I, I was training for the World Cup, and I was the— Field, I was a fly half, so I kicked field goals and I played, I called a play. So it's like the quarterback and the field goal kicker in one position. And I was, I started worrying about missing an easy kick, right? Like I was, I was thinking, whoa, what if I blow it and like miss an easy field goal right in front of the field, like the, the goalpost at the World Cup? Like what if I totally blow this once in a lifetime opportunity? And so I was I, these thoughts kept going in my head and they, they, they started coming as, as anxiety and this anxiety, ultimately it made it hard for me to sleep. And so this lack of sleep, this anxiety, all this pressure that I put on myself ended up, I slowly slid into a depression and I got depressed and I, I dropped out of school. I got dropped from the rugby team. I totally became a shut in in my parents' house. And this is like, I'd never experienced anything like this. And I was totally just debilitated by these feelings. And it wasn't until a few months later, like well, it was many months, you know, and, and I was, and we can, you know, talk about what I did to kind of come out of that later. But I mean, just in terms of what happened was my friends came at the end of the semester that I dropped out of and they were like, yo, we're going to go to a new town for the summer. We want you to come. And I, as I got out of my parents' house and I got a job and I started talking about what I was going through, I slowly came out of these feelings and I started meeting young people that were inspiring. And so after that summer away, I thought, you know what, I'm gonna try and only surround myself with people that inspire me, that like bring me up. And that's when I called this kid, Johnny, from the neighborhood who was a filmmaker. And I was like, Johnny, you wanna make a movie? And that's when the buried life began and this whole adventure started. But it really like, it started from a really, hard place you know this struggle that i um you know i end up learning a lot from but ultimately made me like it forced me to make changes and i was like i need to i need to surround myself with people that are going to lift me up and so ultimately that little decision completely changed the rest of my life i mean that's why i'm here um and then you know the buried life is a whole nother story but like that was the catalyst back in the beginning and yeah i was back in victoria bc so and i remember 
the buried life um and you guys coming around and i i know the guys when they were reveling i knew all that stuff and i was around in that in that world so and i remember specifically thinking like okay these kids are kids like why would anybody give a crap about their bucket list when they're 20 something years old like this doesn't make any sense to me the whole the whole premise at the time didn't make any sense where it's like you haven't even lived life long enough to know what you're missing out why am i going to watch you do this so Walk me through a little bit of how you overcame that side of it and what it sort of became. And coming from someone young was, it actually was, you know, better received than I expected. But again, when it comes to TV, what the hell do I know? <laughs> yeah, like it was, so we, we decided that, you know, we were faced with some, uh, like Duncan's friend had passed away. So when we were young, we were, we were sort of like faced with, okay, one day we're going to die. Uh, what do we want to do? with the time that we have left. And so we thought, let's like think about anything we can ever possibly want to do. Let's write it down. And that's where the list came from. But then we thought, well, there's these list items. We're going to need help from other people. So how about every time we cross something off our list, we'll help someone that we meet along the way cross something off their bucket list, right? And it was supposed to be a two-week road trip in 2006. And you know, we didn't even know how we were going to cross things off our list or help other people. But I think ultimately the the fact that we were asking people, what do you want to do before you die? And then helping them, you know, that ended up becoming really the most meaningful part of what we were doing. And so that like, just, it just resonated, you know, and, and people, I think, you know, ultimately having uh, some sort of excuse to, to think about their life in the present moment and to think and to give people permission, no matter what age to think about what's important to you and to, to just understand that, look, you don't know what's going to happen. So take the time to think about what's important to you and like write them down and try and prioritize those things. Because even if you're 21, you could be gone at 22. And if you're 70, you know, you're 70. So like now's the best time to start. You know, you still have tomorrow and the next day. And so uh, I guess it was like we got lucky with the timing where people were just ready for that like positivity. And also, you know, feeling buried and not doing the things you really want to do is human nature, right? Like the the name, The Buried Life, is from a 150-year-old poem that talks about this guy feeling this way 150 years ago. So right. it's not a new feeling. And I think it's just a welcome reminder because you do get buried by the day-to-day -to, -day to actually pump the brakes and be like, hey, it's okay to think about what's important to you. And in fact, it's vital for your own well-being and for those around you. And yeah. so... So, and then as you guys do the TV show, yeah. you know, um, I figure there was probably that time where you're like, oh, we're going to be TV people and we're going to be TV hosts and we're going to keep doing this. The show goes away at some point as they all do. You transition sort of remarkably into taking what the buried life represented and the sort of, let's just call it positivity to round it around, but take that positivity and be like, okay, I'm going to explain that to other people and speak to other people. Take me a little bit about how you made that transition because that's kind of impressive. So our whole philosophy with Barry Life from the beginning was we're not going to tell people how to live their life because I never want to tell my friends how to live their life. And that never resonated for us. So we thought, well, why don't we just ask a question? And that's why we were just like, what do you want to do before you die? We're not going to tell you what the answer is. All we're asking is to, add, to, to think about that. And then, by the way, we're going to go and we're going to try all of our biggest dreams and hopefully... Like you get FOMO when you miss a party, you might get FOMO about life and just try and, and realize that we're no different than you and you can do your thing. So that was kind of like the goal of Buried Life. Now, once like we did the show and the book 
and uh, what happened was I got invited to, to do a TED talk and um, we, I'd just never been any, like ever wanted to tell people how to, how to live. But I thought, you know what, like now it's been like five or six years. There's definitely things that I've learned that I feel like we could pass on. And, um, and so that was the first time that I spoke about the things that, you know, I thought were actually like valuable and someone saw that and they invited me to speak somewhere else. And, um, you know, it really kind of snowballed from there. And now I'm just speaking full time and, and really seeing the impact that it, that it is having in, with people sitting in the, in the audience. It's just, it's kind of reinforced this thing. Oh yeah, this is human nature to, to not really think about these things. And it's a welcome reminder. It's also like a muscle that we need to build like that awareness of the things, you know, prioritizing our personal goals and, and also the importance of, of giving back and how that's actually, you end up giving to yourself by giving back, um, you know, and, and that's the type of fulfillment, like at the end of your life, you're going to look back on and you're, you, those things you won't regret. So it just kind of, it sort of snowballed, you know, um, organically, but I'll tell you what, like there was a huge dip after, the, the first book and um, the boys, the, you know, Johnny, Duncan, Dave, and I, who, you know, the guys that we started The Buried Life together, we started a production company and we started doing some other shows. But then I started getting really burnt out and I ended up, again, hitting a low. Not as bad as when I was in college. Right. Because I, I had really, like, built a good network of, of, like, healthy habits and things that I knew I needed when I hit those lows. Because, by the way, we're all human beings and humans have ups and downs and that's just the way it is. So, you know, after this, this, you know, basically realizing that I, I didn't have, I wasn't, I didn't have any time to be creative in this new role that I had with the production company and stuff. And uh, I was starting to feel depressed again. And I, I thought, you know what, you know, guys, you take the reins on this. I'm going to, you know, be involved, but not every day. And I was like, I'll do speaking as a, as a stopgap. And then it kind of took off. So like, it wasn't as clean as just, Hey, I'm just going to go out and speak. Like I, I was forced to make a change because I was in the gutter again. Yeah. Like just, you're just like everybody else. Your overnight success is a deep, deep, deep water of a lot of things tried and, and going through. That's the way life is. And listen, you know, one of the reasons we've connected so well is that, and I talked about in the, in the intro and earlier in the episode about, you know, I wrote that that one Forbes article that I did, it was specifically about preparing for success and planning it and being able to enjoy it. And people that I, that I know that are wildly wealthy that haven't figured out how to enjoy that because they never practiced one day, how to be and use their success to their advantage and feel like that. And and that's been resonating more, you know, almost more than any of the other articles. Um, just because I think there's something that people are just sort of hungry for that side of it. And, and, and you've really captured that from, from a lighter perspective. Like I don't hear you telling people what to change and, and fix their life and do, you know, you're not like the self help. I'm going to like give you instructions that you have to follow and follow me. It's like, it's a very internal thing that I really find is sort of like, it's an invigorating thing. I listen to you and I'm like, Oh yeah. Like that's how I feel every day. That's what I like. So it's, I think it's people, I think now more than ever are just, they feel buried. You know, yeah. like it's, it's something that is, look, with the rate uh, that we're going with mental health, like this is the greatest crisis that we're facing, right? There's no d- doubt about it. I think, you know, you, you can really tie the opioid crisis with 
the mental health crisis and behavioral health and mental health, it's very tied. But, you know, if you look at the rate that people are taking their own life, their uh, rate their own prescription drugs, you know, and, 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 and I think some of that is based on this, this people are not doing the things that are at the core making them happy. And like, I'm not saying that you can, if you're depressed, you can just go and like write a bucket list and go off and you'll, you'll be fine. But what I am saying is that like, when you take the time to think about what you believe are going to is going to bring you the most fulfillment and happiness and joy. And that's like really what a bucket list is, right? It's just yeah. you writing down. Then all you need is a reminder so that those things don't get swept under the rug and pushed till tomorrow. And when you have a mechanism like either a list or something on your phone or an accountability buddy, like a friend that checks in on you to actually create that accountability around those things, um, you just never do them, right? Because yeah. everything else has a deadline and you don't have a deadline around those things. So this feels like now more than ever is is just is just welcome because people need permission to go after those things and know that this isn't selfish. This is for your own well-being. And I totally get that. Now, you get a lot of people coming to you. I got two questions here. But do you get a lot of people coming to you looking for you to help them like build their list or like fix those things for them because I find that I'm getting that a lot more like you know I I've taken a huge step back from the day-to-day of TV and much more into sort of you know my sort of coaching and consulting world and and I'm obviously doing this my travel and adventure club is literally just for fun and but what I find is when I talk to people they're like they're looking for me to tell them to quit their job and go start a backpacking company or something like they're looking for someone to just tell them to take a leap and some magic pill that'll make them happy. And, and I look at you and you're a young man, lots of life to live still. You must be like, there's a lot of people that come to you looking for answers. And it's like, I bet there's a lot of older people that have, and they're looking to you for answers. It's gotta be a little overwhelming sometimes. It is. Yeah. And and it's a very difficult place. Uh, No one wants to be in that position where you're having to, tell someone that and, and and no one should be in that position so what i try and do is I, I try and bring it back to you know okay well you're asking me should you do this or not you know or you know let's just say someone's like hey i don't know you know i want to do this thing i don't know it's like okay well just picture yourself on your deathbed looking back to this moment you're at a crossroads and is your future self a laying on your deathbed about to die, looking back onto this decision, going to regret you not trying? And if the answer is yes, you have to, you have no choice, right? If your basic needs are met, like if you're not risking your well-being, shelter, safety, you know, like the lower Maslow's hierarchy needs, then you, you owe your, you, you're not making the decision. Your future self is making the decision. Yeah. And so how do you, how do you deal with that? Like when you're, when people are asking you sort of that next step, like, what should I be doing? It feels like, you know, people are pinned in their, their health. And I remember when we had lunch way back when I was like feeling like, and you've heard it in my voice where I was like, yeah, it's like TV is not as fun as it used to be, you know? And I was like, 
And it was that moment, and it was part of the moments of my evolution of it's like, wait a minute, why am I doing this again? And then you look at out the people out there, and I'm just looking at the just the mail I get even, is just like so many people are in that hamster wheel, the job, the life, the structure, the expectations that they don't love, that doesn't bring them joy. And like Gary would say, like they're praying for Friday to come and they're sad when Monday comes. And it's like, you see so much of that because it's really right at the core of what you speak to. Like, why do people fall into that pattern so sort of like ubiquitous? Everybody's in that pattern. It feels like our entire country is like that. Why is that? Why is it not just a few people? Why is it so many? Well, partly is we've bought into the, the, the wrong idea of happiness, you know, that it's getting more stuff, it's making more money, you know, it's climbing the ladder, which by the way, are none of the top five regrets of the dying. Right. Right. The top five regrets are, I wish I had uh, the courage to live life true to myself. I wish I uh, worked less. I wish I ha spent more t um, uh, time with reconnecting with friends. Uh, I wish I told people how I really felt. Those are the things that people are generally not striving for when they think of their own happiness, which is, you know, as it turns out, when you get there, that's the things that is the most important. So I think you're, we're, which is just the way, the way that we've been taught, you know, by growing up in today's day and age. Yeah. And also when you're in the hamster wheel, you just don't know you're in the hamster wheel. Right. You think you're running until you step out of it and you have perspective. And I think that perspective is sometimes hard to get because you have to force that perspective by actually disengaging yourself from what you're doing to get that perspective. So how do you get that perspective? It's like, you know, a lot of people say you, you need to take a quarterly offsite with yourself or with your partner, your life partner, right? And leave and turn off your phone and write down like all the things that you're, that are important to you and what you want. And that is your true North, right? That you sort of, so like, because of the pace of the day and the grind, um, you know, we just we just don't know that we're unhappy. We just right. don't know that we're running the same spot until we step out and until we like actually have something to keep us accountable on a new path. And then the other thing is like fear, right? So fear is the number one thing that holds us back from going after any type of personal goal, like the fear of what other people might think or the fear yeah. of failure, which at the end of the day are both made up fears, right? Cause you think about, let's just like break down those two quickly. The fear of what other people might think. The truth is most people are thinking about you less than you think they are. Right. Of course. And they're worried about other people thinking about them. So they're worried about other people. They're more accommodating than you think. So the fear of what other people think is, is really like you make that up. And then the fear of failure. Well, if you are waiting for the right time or you never make that shift, you failed that's a failure. You, you never did it, but at least right. when you try and fail, you learn and you grow. I mean, all that stuff is, you know, when you say it, but you don't necessarily live that way. Yeah. Now let's get real for a second though, because, um, you know, you're, uh, like I said, you're, a, you're a ways ahead of where I'm going to, where I'm moving towards. You still deal with that fear though. Right. Because like 100%. I'm dealing, I deal with it every day. Like it, it, you know, the book coming, oh my God, it's going to flop. And all of these things that I've been saying and the feel of what other people think, like being a TV executive for so long and then telling people you want to do something else. Yeah. Like I said, like I've said in other podcasts, yeah, there's a lot of like ego. I mean, yeah. It's, and it's, it's, there's, I know people are like, what a do, like what a doofus or, you know, what an idiot. Like, I know that's out there and that's fine. Like I live with it and like, you know, things have gone well so far. So that's great. But it's something I deal with every day. 
And it's hard for me because I have to go and tell people how to overcome it, how to deal with it, how to push past it, that they should take risks, that they should do things. At the same time, I can't say, oh, you follow the way I did it because it's been a, you know, it's been a pretty weird, wacky, bent, turned road to where to get to here. So it's like, but I don't speak to the same sort of higher level kind of stuff that you do. That's got to be hard when you have to tell people those that advice and like you must feel the self-doubt. You must feel like what you're going to do next is not going to be as good as it was before. And you've got a new book. You There's no way it's going to sell as much as the first one. Yeah. No one's going to care and yeah. no one's going to buy it and then no one's going to want you to speak. I mean, those things are like everyday thoughts for all of us, right? So 100%. how do you deal with that and then tell people not to deal with it? Totally. Yeah. I mean, and it's a, and it's a great question because... And the only thing that I've come to is that these fears will never go away, right? Like the the fear of what other people might think, it may be made up, but it doesn't mean that it's less real and that it's not. Well, I'm not going to feel it. Like I'm consistently going to battle with that. But like I'll give you an example. So most people are a big fear for them is public speaking. Right. And you listen to like Tim Ferriss talk about it. He's done Ted. He's done Ted a bunch of times. I mean, he's an incredible speaker. He's like, you know, um, and he's like the fear of, of, of pre-speaking like that anxiety. It doesn't matter how many times you do it. You will always get that. But just the awareness of knowing that that is just part of the process and like being able to identify okay, this is fear, um, but also this anxiety, part of it's, that is excitement because anxiety and excitement are effectively the same feeling. So if I can think, one, I know this is normal, like I know this is going to happen, and so this is part of the process of me leading up to stepping on stage, and that's, I don't like it, but it's going to happen, so that's cool. And also when I start to feel it, it's like, okay, this isn't all anxiety. Part of this is like me, these are butterflies in my stomach because I'm excited to do this. Um, so I think, just think the awareness that this is, it's the same as being on the hamster wheel, knowing that everyone you inherently will be on the hamster wheel, unless you kind of check it, step back and have that, you know, check in with yourself. Um, the awareness is key and knowing that, okay, I'm going to feel like this and that's because I'm a human being. Right. Now, one of the things I've been adding a lot to when I speak about is the idea of work life balance and how I think like, that's not a good way to describe it. It's like, I'm, I'm looking for the people that I work with. I tell them like, you want work life integration. Like you don't want to have a separation between what you consider work and what you consider life. It's not like you want to do your life's work and turn that into your job. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the intensity you bring to the office should be the intensity you bring home into your recreational life, into the elements of your relationship. Like you should be just as good at having fun on the weekends playing with buddies as you are in the office making stock trades. And that's sort of where I'm trying to bridge people's understanding because that's a little bit where I've taken what, you know, sort of the brand that I'm doing and what I've been doing successfully in my life. Yeah. From a, I feel better today than I did two years ago. Yep. Is I just started matching the intensity I bring to just about everything I do. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm going to see how much I can squeeze fun out of that. Yeah. Cause you're basically getting energy from work and you're getting energy from your personal life. Right. Like every, so that's the integration. That's like work life harmony, right? Yeah. Like, which is what Jeff Bezos talks about a little bit. And what are you talking? He talks about that. 
He talks about you. He must have got it from you. No way. No <laughs> yeah. way. He's lying. He doesn't want work-life harmony. No way. I know people that work at Amazon. There's no harmony working there. I know people that have said that is the most work and the hardest job they've ever done in their lives. Yes. I and the least they've... fun they've ever had in an office. Yeah. I'm just saying that's what I've heard. And it could be It could be just I hear wrong. But yeah. there's no way he's talking work-life harmony. Whatever. Oh, anyways, back. I saw it. I, yeah. I so like, so he so basically you when you go to work ideally you're getting like fired up about it and then when you come home ideally you're doing things that you're fired up about which is like that's my argument for having any type of a list or doing your personal goals like that's gonna fuel the rest of your work and if like the it, you, you said it right because like the the work-life balance that's like saying you there's two different people. There's like someone at work and then someone at right. life. It's just you're the same person. So you especially with phones and computers, like there's no there's no balance. So right. it's a constant ecosystem that you just need to try and be like your best self throughout. And uh I I, I think there's this misconception that in order to be a leader, you need to give, give, give. And I I think that you you know, for to, to have real work life harmony, like you're actually putting yourself first in order to serve others. So like by doing that, you put your, yourself in a position to be able to not only do your best work, but also be the best leader, you know, family man, like what, whatever. Right. And so that is a really tricky balance, yeah. you know, because people ask about, they tend to ask me like, do you ever have downtime? And and I'm like, why would you want downtime? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, to to go to work and have that be your uptime and then you go on vacation or whatever and that's your downtime. It's like, that is a recipe. Most of the people I see or I work with, that's the recipe they've used. And it's like, oh, no wonder you're 58 years old and super wealthy and can't figure out how to do anything else but show up at an office every day. And I have a, like I have a lot of friends who have sold their companies for gargantuan amounts of money and like are still working because it's like well I don't do know what else anything to else do. right you know and that's a difficult thing for people to to get around and it's because like well because you view your personal life as downtime and mm -hmm. your work life as uptime mm -hmm. or that's when you're on and this is when you're off and that seems very strange to me I think that helps to sort of facilitate what you're talking about in that buried life sort of thing where we all feel like that. And it's like, oh, I get to go home and try to get out from under it for a minute. Oh, got to go back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I think it's, if you think about it both, you know, as work and, and home life, both is uptime, but it's like, what is that uptime? What's the definition of that for you? It could be getting a couple of friends and going to a ridiculous adventure. It could be, you know, spending quality time reading with your five-year-old daughter it could be like it doesn't it doesn't matter what those things are the most important thing is that you've taken the time to you know intentionally think about what is the most important like way and in, in, in time you can spend in in your time away from work so that like it's just it's just meaningful yeah now so I, here's the thing i've watched you sort of grow through this a little mm -hmm. bit over the last couple of years so and now i see you at a point where it's like you you should feel pretty good about like, wow, I've achieved this level. Where are you going next? Like, do you need to get bigger and bolder and better than 
you are today to feel your next level of happiness? Like, where are you? Because the next level for you is that's there's a there's a big jump. You know what I mean? Like, you gotta you gotta go big now. I gotta go big. Yeah, yeah and that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, all well, signs pointing to like more work, more effort, bigger stuff, right, bigger yeah. risk. You Which know? is totally the hamster wheel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right? But it is funny that you think if I think two years ago, like if you know this would be sort of like my wildest dream goal where I'm at. But right now I'm already thinking about the next thing. And that's a trap that I get into. And a lot of people I imagine get into is like, you just, so I appreciate you saying that because it, it makes me reflect and think, Oh yeah, you know what? It, I, have, I have come a long way, but it, you know, where, what I still don't have is like this, these things that we're talking about, there's, there's nothing for someone to actually like take away and, and really like dive into in a meaningful way other than coming to one of my one hour keynote sessions. Right. And, and even that, that's only an hour. So, uh, everything that I'm speaking about, I'm, I'm now, you know, writing a book about. And, and so that I, I feel will be my first like real, um, piece that I can hand off, how to hand off to people so that, that I'm really excited about. And, and then from there, you know, it's it's kind of just about like getting this, you know, and it sounds cheesy, but getting it out to as many people as possible. So like, oh yeah, no, I I totally get that. Yeah, like, I, I don't know if it's if it's a, you know, what the medium is, but it's it is kind of exciting to think, you know, you can do just about anything now to get. Yeah, and get when you it find in. success in it, and that's like you know, uh, you're seeing what you do is affecting people directly. I've seen it, and it's like it's hard to not be like, okay, well, how do I do that more? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the new book because, you know, the obviously the Buried Life book that you did originally, big New York Times bestseller, but had a certain tone to it that was specifically, you know, from the show and the list and stuff. What's the new book about and, what's it, uh, and, and what are you taking into that? So one of the things that I've learned in the last, you know, probably since I saw you last, right, um, was is that the thing that I didn't realize when we started Buried Life, you know, when we hit the road and, and just went after our bucket list and um, yeah, I really didn't think anyone would, would care at all. You know, I, we, we thought we'd make the documentary about helping other people and that would be a cool doc. And But what happened was people heard about it and they saw our list online and they'd email us and be like, hey, I saw like number nine, ride a bull. My uncle has a bull ranch, he can get you on a bull or you know, you want to ride in a hot air balloon, my aunt can help. Or you want to make a toast to strangers wedding, my best friend's getting married, I'm the best man, I can get you in the wedding, right? And this flood of people really like rooting for us and wanting us to succeed and cross things off our list and then being inspired to write their list. That was something that was just, I didn't expect. And so I thought back about what, like what inspired me to, to start Buried Life, you know? If, if I trace it back, and it's really this this kid in high school who out of the blue started his own clothing line. And it was a really like cool idea. And, and he just out of the blue with no experience started a clothing line. And I thought, man, that's so cool. And I, I wanted to get involved. And I thought, if he did that, what can I do? And so I was inspired by like 1% by this kid to think about what I could do. And I thought, I want to make a movie. And I called Johnny. And then the buried life began. And that you know, shifted, shifted my life. And so I sort of realized that by, by doing what you love, you actually inspire other people to do what they love. And the ripple effect that that has, just like the ripple effect of your Forbes article, the ripple effect that that has goes, it, it, 
you'll never know what that is, but it's very real. Like we've all been inspired by one person, whether we know them or not, that has sort of shifted our life. And I think that, you know, it, sound, it may, it may sound, sound a little bit grandiose, but like if more people did what they love, it would change the, the world because happy people make happy families, happy families make happy communities, happy communities, you know, make happy nations and happy nations, you know, create peace on earth, right? Like that's sort of the simple way to look at it. And so you, it's your obligation to do the things that you truly care about, bring out this true person. Because by the way, you don't want to end up like 76% of the people that die and regret not living their true self. Right. Therefore, do the things you love. You don't have to make your living from it, but at least prioritize the things that you love in your off time because you're going to make an impact in other people's lives just by that ripple effect, right? And so the other side of the ripple effect is by helping someone else because when you give to someone else, you help someone else. It's not a one-to-one relationship. You don't just help that one person. You help the people around them, right? Their friends, their family. Yeah. And so... So the book is about this ripple effect and hopefully giving people the not only the tools to go after the things they want, but also, you know, the permission to, to do so. And throughout, you know, just by telling these stories of, that have happened over the last 10, 15 years. That's pretty cool. Um, all right. Now, what does your bucket list nab now? Do people ask you that all the time? Or am yeah, I just, yeah, yeah, I think I so. Like, I mean, what's like, on there now? So it's definitely this book it's also man so we started buried life making to make a documentary that's what the buried life was and we've been filming the whole way and so we've done 91 of 100 of the original list items the the last number 100 is go to space we really want to do something in space and finish the documentary so you know i've been talking to all everyone that's in that space pun intended in the space and like uh, anything where we can get somewhere close to, I want to finish this documentary. I think right. this will be the coolest thing that we've ever done. So the documentary, the book, and um, you know, I got engaged, so I'm getting married. So that's going to be really exciting. Um, and those are, those are the three, three things. Smaller, what about you? What's, what's, what, list. what's on yours? You know, I'm I'm ticking them off so bloody fast right now because it used to. It's just like I just like fun. I like doing fun, goofy mm-hmm. things, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the book was a big one for me as well because I always wanted to do that. Yeah, I still. Congrats, lo- by the way. It's oh, like it's gonna be awesome. Uh, we'll see. It's <laughs> nerve wracking as I I can't tell you how crazy it is. It's like every show I've ever produced leading to that one premiere. If they were all done on the same day and they all had me on it, you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> It's it's very stressful in that sense, and you know that, so you've been through it. So there's a little of that. Um, I'd really like to expand what I do in my animal rescue stuff. I mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff. Um, and those are sort of the big ones, but I'm, I'm older than you, right? So I've had a chance to go and tick a bunch of them off. And I'm more focused in my own life. I'm more focused with like going back through my bucket list and like ticking them again and being like, if I never got a chance to tick anything else off, can I make these ones valuable enough that I get to that deathbed and be like, no, no, I did them all. I did them five times. My concern is, and I spent my entire life looking for the next thing, always trying to get to the next place, always trying to make more money, always trying to do that. Right. And so I spent so much time doing that. I just got, I had this big scare effectively that it was like, oh my God, this is what my life's going to become. 
So thanks to guys like you and to Tony and stuff like that, I like had this a little bit of this epiphany. And so, and what was uh, the scare? Sorry, it was just the scare. It was just the scare that that's what success was to me was always trying to find something else. Right. That so you you noticed I, that? Yeah, that I might get to the point of my life where I had more than I thought possible, which I already was. I mean, you know, growing up in Victoria, we have slightly different expectations for the size and scope of life than the typical Americans do. We don't have the same sort of ideas. And so, you know, I had, I had passed through my wildest expectations financially and where I was status-wise a few times. I never felt like that one single day. And so my issue was is that I was realizing like I could just keep going like this and never feel like I've won or that I've made it or that I was enough or that this was it and that it would always be about the next thing. And it was a very wealthy friend of mine that I was working with um, who wasn't a friend at the time. He was a business you know, contact. And I went to his house that he rents in the top of Sunset Plaza. It was a $30 million house or whatever it was. He rents it. He's there a few days a year and that's it. Right. And so, you know, our first few business meetings were there and it was very professional. And eventually we became friendly and I got to ask him about the house. Oh my God, the house is amazing. Oh, I can't believe it. And so he's like, yeah, I'll give you a tour. So he's giving me a tour and I'm like, my eyes are like, wow. Like, popping Roger Rabbit out of my head of the view and the pool and the kitchen and the way the doors open up and all these things in every room I'd go in I'd have this vision of what I would do if I lived in this house it'd be so amazing and the entire time he's so nonchalant and so like unimpressed because it's his place and he's just kind of like whatever right and I remember thinking to myself oh my god that's what I do when I give a tour of my house and people come here and they go like, oh my God. And I'm just like, whatever. Oh, I need to get this fixed. Or, And I just realized like, oh, sh like, oh crap. I, I, if I could afford a $30 million house, it'd be so cool for a little while. And then I'd be that guy. Cause I've already been doing that my entire life. So that made me rethink all the stuff. And I'm sort of like in this mode of like, if it never gets better than this, could I make this as like the happiest I can possibly be? And so I'm like yeah. practicing that as much as I possibly can. So that's huge, man. Like it's, it's such a blessing to have those types of um, moments where you, you sort of you're hit with it yeah. because, because it's just not intuitive. You're just, you, you think, Oh man, if I just had like, I just want a little more money, you know, yeah. if I could just make it to that. And then you're like, wait a sec. If I look back four years, my goal was half of what I'm making That's right, right now. And I'm not any happier. And I move the goalposts. And I keep moving the goalposts. <laughs> yeah. And then you start looking at like, oh, yeah. Because people always say, you know, money doesn't make you happy. And it's like, I can say that. I still don't believe that like deep, deep down. Right. Until you sort of really step back and you're like, it it hasn't. Like, no. I, like, and, and, and there's like all these studies that say up to... I want to say $80,000, I think it is, up to there. The, the amount of money you have, it, like the, it's, it's minuscule. It is. The increase in happiness yeah. that it brings you. Well, money doesn't buy you happiness, for sure. But what it doesn't do is, and, and listen, it, it buys you out of a lot of problems and all those things. There's lots of jokes and memes you can make about that. But the truth is, is that money doesn't train you how to use money to be happy. And that's the problem. The pursuit of money and achieving success doesn't show you how to use that yeah. effectively. And people think that if they can, and I used to think this, if I got more money, I would be able to be happier. And it's like, it's possible, yeah. but you have to learn how to do that. And you have to, and I'm like in the Forbes article, you have to practice 
being good at it. And if it's like I was saying, like if I can't be happy and be good at using the money I have now, then if I was to get more, I wouldn't be any happier because I wouldn't even know how to use it properly. Yeah. And that's what people and it's hard. Listen, because I and I'm like you, I get you know, young people come to me and ask me for advice. And it's like, I can't say, hey, quit your job and just be happy with the money you have. Because when you're 23 or 27 years old or whatever, it's like you need to get on the hamster wheel totally. and run really fast. And it's also like, you know, listen, it's, it's you. I, I think that you don't, I'm not, I'm not going to be a, a charlatan here and just be like, you don't need money to be happy, you know? But I think that no, you what, what you're saying is, I think, critical that you you understand yourself enough to know what the money is going, how the money is going to bring you that happiness. Right. How to use it, how to use it in the right way. And, um, and, and to be aware that it, 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 it is a never ending hunger. Like that thirst will never be quenched of having enough. Cause someone is, will always have more money than you and they'll always have X more than you or bigger this or that. And so it's, uh, it's the flip side of the coin, uh, as you said. Yeah, and it's and it's it's listen, it's tough. It's a it's an evolution. So people are always looking for you on social media. It's just at Ben Nempton on yeah. all the platforms, right? You got it. And it's like growing like crazy. That's exciting. Do you like social media? Is it like fun for you, or is it like a task? Because you must get overwhelmed with like requests and messages and like, can you do stuff for me? And will you do this? Yeah. So I don't. I didn't. I didn't know for a while, and I still don't think I figured it out. Like how to be on social media. Like, I just don't know how to really put my voice out in an authentic way as a, someone who will be like telling people what they might want to do, you know? Right. And that, that's just something that I battled with. So I, that's been the biggest challenge for me is like, how do I express myself in a real way that's going to connect with people? Um, and so I, I, I've been sort of like practicing, practicing that, but I think now that I see that like people are kind of like, okay, this is stuff that we want to hear. I'm just going to just try and be more myself. <laughs> you know, it's like, what a novel idea. What a novel <laughs> idea. <laughs> so yeah, it's, so I'll try that. Well, I'll tell you everybody on my subscribers, they're very, very loyal and they will be happily to follow you now. Although I, I know there's a bunch cause I keep getting requests to have you on as a guest. So thank I you. know that, that there's a good crossover. So Ben, thanks for being here, man. It's good watching it. Grow. Yeah, man. It's been Excited. awesome to catch up. Don't not take my call. <laughs> you know? never man maybe like i'll have to text <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> no just kidding all right buddy thank you oh there you go ben Nempton. dude i needed to hear so much of that i know it's good right like and he's got a soothing oh, voice oh my goodness well and some of the stuff you said too brad Ooh, you know like he got me going didn't he yeah <laughs> and, and the whole uh you know work-life integration yeah. as opposed to work-life balance and not that your uptime is work and your downtime is your personal life that of course that's going to feel boring and yeah. you're just going to want to work all the time but putting the same energy into your personal life and the yeah. things you do on the weekends as you do for your job like I needed to hear that. So thank you <laughs> to both you and yeah. Ben. Because I'm like, yeah, I totally do that. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I'm a, I'm, I'm a little fascinated with him, right? Because as I've been speaking a lot more, and, and I listen, I tell the story quite a bit, but like, you know, I've had a full-time job in TV land for a, for a long time. And so my speaking and sort of corporate stuff that I really enjoyed doing it was quite limited because, you know, I got a job. And so it was, it was always like, nope, sorry, no time for that. And then eventually I started doing more of it and as I've been moving. So... 
And I did a big thing for Bank of America a few weeks ago, and that was one of my core pieces of the idea of up, you know, uptime, downtime, and and I talked a lot about working with the Clippers and and how their the structure of an athlete is high intensity in the game. You bring high intensity to practice, right? No team in the world practices at a low level relaxed and then tries to get up and intense for the game, right? They keep that intensity at all times. And it's because physiologically you get used to and accepting that high level performance. And the more you do it, the easier it is and the more natural it is. And what I was translating that to is that goes everywhere else in your life. Anything that you're going to do, if you practice doing it at a high level intensity in the sense of taking enjoyment out of it or doing the best you possibly can, physiologically, you'll get better at doing it more often and more encompassing in other areas. It's like, you know, when you go and you have a really bad day at work and you can't understand why and you're trying to get stuff done and it's like it's already two o'clock in the afternoon, you haven't done anything. And like the next day you'll crush it, right? Yep. Like everything just kills. And it's like, there's nothing different other than your brain just was able to get into that intense mode and the day before it just wasn't. And it's cause you just don't practice being in that mode enough. And it went over like really well. And I was like, man, I should talk more about this. And then when I spend time with a guy like Ben, it's like, oh wow, like he's really got that. His whole package of that is so flushed out and so good. It's just like, Sometimes I feel a little like insecure about like, oh, I, I got to flush out more of these ideas before I release them on the world. So. Comparison is the thief of joy. <laughs> Always remember that. Yeah. You're doing wonderful things. You do not need I to know. compare your success to other people's. Um, but no, Ben Ben is very inspiring. Yeah. And um, the whole concept of let's let's live life to the fullest now while we're young and while we have the time to do so. And then pay it forward and in yeah. some cases pay it back because people were helping them achieve their bucket list items and you know then in turn let's help other people achieve theirs it it is it's it's really crazy awesome for yeah. lack of a better term and I think your conversation you know at least helped me think what are some of the things I could do on my bucket list how do I turn right. my weekend time into my uptime and I mean little plug for you Brant but the stuff you've been doing with reject average is a great way to say like how do I do my uptime right. on my days off as well and put that much energy and excitement into it so that I can look forward to my time off work? And it seems yeah. like a silly thing to have to put energy into looking forward to your time off work. But for me, it resonated because what I do for a living is very fun. Yeah, I get to talk be. about gadgets. I get to play tabletop games, play video games, do really cool, fun, fandom things. I'm going to San Diego Comic-Con next week and I'm calling it work. Like, my job is really fun. So it's very right. easy for me to think my work is my high intensity fun time and my home life is my kind of more boring downtime. Yeah, this and you is don't when get I relax the same... and recoup. But how much cooler would it be if my days off were also super fun? By the way, and that's what I I mean, I started <laughs> doing that specifically because I found that get that work was the only place I felt like accomplished or successful. Or, I mean, I'd use the word fulfilled, but it's a little too cliche, but like that I felt like there was a challenge that I was meeting and overcoming and being success and basically winning. And so I was like, why can't I do that in my real life? And I'll, and I'll tell the story quickly, but the first time I did it was I wanted to go to the beach. My wife's not a huge beach fan, lots of sand. And we had three toddlers at the time. I think it was like seven, five and three. And she's like, we will bring half of Santa Monica back to the house. Like, I just don't want to go. 
And I was like, I want to go. So I decided to take the kids by myself to the Ooh, beach. How for did the day. that go? <laughs> well, it might, even I remember her looking at me like, you're crazy. Like, yeah. make sure you bring all three of them back, basically. Like, this is not, you know. So as I was driving, I was like, oh my God, what am I getting myself into? But <laughs> I pictured as I was pulling into the parking lot, I was like, okay, if Jeff Probst had shown up and issued a challenge in like as a TV show, be like, here's the challenge, Brent. You have three children for the next three hours on this beach. Your job is to get them fed, get them clean, make them have lots of fun and keep all three of them alive. Can you do it? And whoever does it the best will win, right? Like that was going through my mind. Like, what if it, like, what if I killed it, right? So I literally killed it. Like I was on a reality show for a million dollar prize. I was chasing the kids around. I was making things happen. I was getting food. I was changing them. I was making laugh. And I was, I was just killing, I was just crushing it. Right. And I was packing them all back in the, in the van when I was in the parking lot. And these three women walked up to me randomly and just said, I'm, I'm sorry. We just have to say, we've been watching you today with these kids. And it was incredible watching you do this. <laughs> and I remember getting this rush of like, oh man, I really won today. Right. And so I started doing that more often as like a dad. Like I say, even on my Instagram, like I'm a high intensity dad. Like it's like, okay, I'm going to go do something with the kids. I'm going to win. And then I found it was easier to do that even when sometimes I didn't feel like it because at least I was used to like playing that game. And then I was able to sort of translate it into other elements of my life. And I tried winning in relationships and with people, with friends. And like, I would take a situation and I was like, okay, I have to go to the bank today and deal with this teller. Like, if this was a contest to see who could have the greatest interaction with a bank teller today, what would I do? And it was like, it was kind of cool, you know, and that helped drive a little bit of my sort of quest for sort of adventure and whatnot. And, and Reject Average, the adventure club has been really good for me and cathartic. And listen, it, it's a midlife crisis. That's just the facts. Like <laughs> my kids are getting older. They don't need me as much. Like, See, and I thought, oh man, your kids are getting older. You can finally do all this cool yeah. stuff. Because <laughs> because it's funny that you tell this story of how you won with three tiny children. Because I feel like there was a dramatic shift in my life when my downtime used to be uptime. I would do fun weekend things all the time when I wasn't working. And then I made a tiny human. Yeah. And I now I'm like, everything. can't go anywhere. Yeah. Got this tiny human. I got can't you. do anything fun. Got this tiny human. And the only time that I really do get to do things that I look forward to and enjoy right now is if I fly my parents across the country to watch him <laughs> while I go do this yeah. thing. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, every phase of life, it's finding out how you can still do things that satisfy you and make you happy and uh are, are like i said that self-care is so important so finding something that jazzes you up i think was the way you phrased it in yeah. the in the conversation with ben finding something that gets you jazzed up for your weekends or for your day off that's so important but i also wonder a little bit um in wrapping up here but i i wonder a little bit what that's going to do for our society in general because it's more prevalent now than it's ever been the quest for sort of balance or inclusion in life and enjoyment and all that kind of stuff is now a core principle I feel like in our culture and we don't settle for sort of like poor situa situations or you know we don't tolerate things we don't like you know millennials switch jobs if they don't like the tone that their boss brings that kind of stuff and I wonder Will that culture create the next Steve Jobs or Oprah Winfrey or people who have gone through such incredible adversity and have dedicated their lives 
to the pursuit of one thing at the cost of everything else in their lives. Not what I would call healthy or a recipe for happiness or joy in the traditional sense, but changes society for the good and advances all things. Those people, you know, make the Apple company of every industry out there. And are we creating less of those people? Because we're in a quest to be happy and satisfied and fulfilled and joyous so early in life and all the time. It's definitely a complicated question, but I I think I would agree uh, with more of what Ben said where – you know, people make themselves happy and happy people create happy societies and happy societies create happy worlds. And yes, that's a very idealistic, lovely, put a bow on it approach. As corny as um, that sound, I liked that it's, too. Yeah, it's overly simplistic, of course, uh, self-admittedly by Ben, yeah. but it's lovely. And that's that's the way that I would like to think that kind of behavior and that attitude will shape the world moving forward. And I just liked seeing a guy like that and be like, this is what you do for a living. I can't cool. even believe this. Yeah, it's cool. Like this was, It was really inspiring to me as well, so. All right. That's awesome. I'm glad that that you had him on this podcast. It was a good one. <laughs> yeah. All right, Tersha, where can we find you? Uh, if people want to find me, they can do that at that GRL Trish. So it's like that girl Trish, but without an I in the girl on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And That's that new verified Instagram with that blue check mark. Oh, yeah. Finally, it's the only <laughs> platform I wasn't verified on. I know. Isn't that uh, funny? After seven years of being on Instagram. And everyone says, oh, it's because you're... It has to do with your Facebook verification. I'm like, that's not true. I've been verified on Facebook yeah. for eons. I know. Um, but yeah, you You're can find me. You're now finally, at- after seven years, you're an overnight <laughs> success. Years, of course. Um, no, not at all. It, it's super not important unless you're negotiating with a brand that makes it super important. Right. Except for when you saw it, you were like, yes. I was excited. Yeah. I will, like I when will I got say. My, I, but Twitter was my first one, and I literally came screaming into the bedroom. My wife's like, what does that mean? I was like, fuck, damn it. You don't know. I got to call somebody who knows. It's very exciting. Um, It it makes you feel good about all the hard work you've put in for years, which is lovely. Um, So anyway, yeah, that GRL Trish on all those platforms. And then on YouTube and Twitch, if you watch gaming content, slash Trisha Hirschberger, spelled T-R-I-S-H-A-H-E-R-S-H-B-E-R-G-E-R. Sweet. And I'm at all those things at Brent Pendidic. Um, this has been the Why I'm Not podcast. So check us out at whyimnot.com and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Why I'm Not podcast with your host, Brant Pinvidic. For more on this episode and upcoming episodes, visit whyimnot.com. I shut them down. 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 Shut them down.